So, very soon you're going to realize that growth isn't vertical, it's horizontal. You're going to have to like work with someone. Look at what OPA is doing. They have the resources to build and combine so many different services in one app. While most Nigerian startups are building one and trying to get good at that, they can get good at many things at the same time. If you look at that like process as well, and they need to corner the market very fast, working together is the only solution. Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz, and we are here recording at the Georgetown Africa Business Conference. It's been a fantastic day of talks covering everything from agritech to fintech, logistics, uh, policy, and right now, I am joined by Odun Ewani. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, she is the co-founder and COO at piggybank.ng. They are certainly a local hero in Nigeria's fintech ecosystem, and I am grateful to have her with us today. How's your day going so far? Very good. I don't know that I'll call us a local hero, but I, I do think that Piggyvest has managed to grow in a very unprecedented way over the past four years. It's been an interesting journey, certainly. I think a better way to phrase it is hometown hero. <laughs> And really what I mean by that is it's not like an Opay or a Jumia coming into the market. It's yeah. local entrepreneurs. You're a great story. And I think what's most interesting is that you're all technical co-founders, which is a whole topic of conversation and a standalone podcast in and of itself. <laughs> but I'd really love to start this off with just hearing the story before Piggy Bank was started, before the universe sent you the idea for Piggy Bank through a viral tweet how did the team come together and what were some of the original iterations that you all went through before forming Piggy Bank? Three of us were all in the same school. We all attended Covenant University in Ogun State, Nigeria. So that's where we met. So we've been friends since 200 level. I mean, we didn't think we were going to start a business together, but we're all pretty civil in school. My CMO, our Chief Marketing Officer, graduated first in 2012. And then myself and Sumto joined him in 2013. Incidentally, Sumto and Josh were running a business, a loyalty card business in 2013 when I was walking past and Sumto literally leaned out of a window and called me in. And that's how I joined the team. I was on my way back from a really horrible interview and I just turned down the job. I was like wondering, I was going to tell my dad, you know, justify my stay in Lagos because I didn't grow up in Lagos. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Ogun State, two hours away from Lagos, more quiet, less commercial. And I'd come to Lagos telling my dad, I get a job. Then the first interview I had was pretty horrible. And so I was like, you know what? No. And something leaned out of that window and kind of like changed it all. And then he told me they were working on this loyalty card um, startup. And, and I was like, yeah, happy to join. And then we started to work on that for a while. We worked on it for about seven, eight months. But midway through working on the loyalty card startup, we had this idea to build a platform that helped people arrange their CVs. So one thing that we all grew up hearing was about how abysmal Nigeria's job market was and how there was a, a dearth of quality graduates. And so we're like, what if we could help people get their foot in the door, right? And so from doing that, people were like, well, now that you've helped me write my CV, what if you help me send it to an employer? And so that brought the idea for a whole new startup called Push CV. And so we started to run Push CV like simultaneously with the loyalty card platform. And after a while, we realized that the loyalty card platform was a bit ahead of its time. Nigerians hadn't started to trust the card system. There was a disconnect between the merchants and the users. And so we then pivoted and focused solely 
on the employment startup. So that was our first failure startup, right? So we ran Push CV for two years. It actually still exists under new management. And while we're running Push CV, we had some like incredible ideas for other incredible startups that failed. We had one called 500 Dishes and it worked for a year. So it was essentially connecting people who cooked in bulk with people who ordered food in bulk. Right? Like I love to order food into the house because I don't have a lot of time to cook. And so we knew that there were more people like that. And we started the company and it was incredible for a while. You know, we made it to like the top startups lists and all of that. But the orders just started to dwindle. We had like logistics issues. And then a year after that had folded. You know, we had 99 staff. We had front desk. We had households. We had a great deal many companies. And we were like essentially people who experimented with ideas. But the central focal point, I suppose, was creating services that worked for the millennial market. So I know that like at that time, most people were like, you guys are doing too much in too many different sectors. But we saw it as one because it was servicing exactly the same people. And I think that was literally what led us to PiggyVest because trying to work and service the millennial market is a very interesting thing because then you begin to see just how multifaceted their problems are. So on the 31st of December in 2015, we were on break from Push TV, obviously, because it was December and spending time on social media like everyone else. And then there was a viral tweet. There was a lady who broke an actual wooden box and, you know, she had saved a thousand naira every day in that box. And so she broke it and the pictures were all over social media and everyone was like, I'm going to get a box, I'm going to get a box. And then in our group chat, it was a whole different conversation, like, we can build something that makes this process more sustainable. And that's literally how Piggy Vessel was born from quite literally another experiment to see how this could work better. Hmm. That's really interesting. So you all had the vision for a super app for Africa's millennials before the concept of like a WeChat-esque super app became a hot topic. Yeah, we, yes, exactly. Because we tried to build an Uber-type business with <laughs> so many. <laughs> okay, so that's how Piggy Bank was born. Uh, let's let's dive deeper into the story since then. I think the lessons learned and all those iterations beforehand is really telling of your team's uh, resilience yeah. and capabilities to deal with the punches that come along with uh, not just building a startup, but building a fintech startup in Nigeria. I think there were like two factors that made it a bit easier. One was we didn't know what we we're walking into, blissfully unaware. And second thing was we were incredibly young. So in 2013, I was 19. There's time. And what better to spend it doing than tinkering with this thing, right? You know, ordinarily my parents are loving to go for my master's, but this was way more interesting. And so even when we started PEVS, it was like, we're going to start a digital color, like a digital actual piggy bank. We didn't think of it as a fintech company. In fact, the word fintech didn't come until after we started the company. So it wasn't something we didn't call it that. And so we just thought like we build people use and that's that. And then two weeks into like this, the company, first reality check, security. You have to put OTP in place. You have to put verification and, in uh, place. And what's OTP? One time password. So if someone enters a card, you can just say the person entering this card number is the owner of the card. You have to send a one-time password to their means of identification so they can enter that password for you to verify that the person holding the card is indeed the owner. So security was one big thing. Verification of all of those things. ID, you know, and then we had to also now start looking at like regulatory compliance, which is like a month into like the company's like, 
what's the regulation around this? You know, and then we started to open our eyes to just what the reality of running that kind of company was. And for us, it's honestly a learn-as-you-go situation because I'm an engineer, my co-founders are engineers. But we are building a fintech company, but we also believe that it doesn't have to be like a whole suit and tie thing. It's a very interesting sector to work in. And so after we realized that we had to partner up with a regulated body, we did. We partnered with the microfinance bank and then we started to get courted by a commercial bank to like move the part. So when the partnership with the microfinance bank ended, we moved to a commercial bank. And then as we did that, then what then happened was people were more comfortable, right? So we moved. And then people started talking about the platform more in connection with the commercial bank and it was all going great. And all of a sudden, regulation came up again. And then the central bank is telling them, you don't have a wallet license. What business do you have operating with another body who doesn't have a wallet license? So the partnership then had to end. And so what we realized was we had to get regulatory compliance independently. Partnerships just weren't cracking anymore. So we started to look into getting our own license. And luckily, it was timely, right? It'd been about two years of running the business with partnerships. So by March of 2018, we raised our first round of funding, $1.1 million. And the primary like purpose of that was to get a license. So we did. So that helped us to kind of form where the company is going. And at the time, we thought we we're operating as a bank-like entity. Today, I think it's kind of different. So what we've seen is that we're morphing into more of a wealth management platform than an actual bank. So now we're looking at what is the regulatory compliance for this entity that we've now grown into. You know, we started from just savings and then we realized that saving wasn't just the thing that people wanted to do, right? They want to invest. You know, they want to buy insurance, but they want it all in one place. And they want it also broken down into micro affordable, accessible like bits so that young people, people who were otherwise excluded can like have access. So now we're seeing that we're a wealth manager and there's now like a whole new journey that we have to face this year. Hmm, that's a really interesting angle. And I think it's a common parallel with successful fintech apps across Africa in that, you know, an engineer can build features, but the real challenge in Africa is distribution. Yeah. So if you're able to introduce an initial use case or one killer feature that makes the app go viral, whether it's what you all did, maybe it's a mobile game, a payment solution, whatever it is, once you have that user base, then you can introduce all sorts of savings products, investment products, all, all sorts of new features on top of the distribution network you have. And the distribution is the leverage. So I'd love to hear more about the process of fundraising for that initial seed round. Like, what did that look like for you all? Were you traveling around the world? Like, were you just meeting with local people? What was that process like? It was a bit strange. I was also new to it. So when we first started the company, we tried to fundraise for it. But like everyone was like, nope, this product isn't going to exist in a year. All right. So it's like, okay, so we're not going to raise money in the first year. And then we started to try to raise money in second year in 2017, around June. So we, we were lucky. Village Capital, an American accelerator, they run accelerator programs in Africa. All right, there's FinTech, there's Agritech. Awesome. I really love them. Right. And so we got into Village Capital's FinTech accelerator in early 2017. And it's, it's a peer accelerator program. It's peer selection. So eight companies going. And then everyone has to vote for two companies who win the funding. So we were one of the two companies for our cohort. And so we got $50,000 in funding from Village Capital. That made us attractive to 
more investors. Without that funding, I'm 100% sure no one would have still wanted to fund us. It seems like all the ogas in Nigeria just wait for some big Western brand VC to come in before they actually will write a check. It's like that. So after Village Capital, we got interest from like some big ticket investors. And so like we got one, I will not name names, but people back home will know them. And uh, the first person is like, okay, how much are you raising? And we, we told him the figure and he's like, okay, that they can like fund the whole thing because it wasn't a sizable amount. And then we sign a term sheet and then he ghosts. Never hear back. Basically, that took us back to round square one again. And then I got connected with an international investor and they're like, oh, we don't do seed for Africans, but we'll connect you to someone in Nigeria whom we've invested into investing in. And we tried that and then the terms were a bit too stringent. And so we couldn't go forward with that either. Then, then we got another offer which would involve acquiring the whole company, not work out well either. So it was like a really backbreaking process was not enjoyable whatsoever. And honestly, we'd almost given up when we met the people who actually did invest. My friend had raised some funds from them and then had told them about us. And then they just picked up the phone and called us. And the, the deal was done in four weeks. It was really fortuitous, very timely. And they invested in us as people, not really in the product at the time. And so that, that made us really grateful because it was a large like round for us. And for the ecosystem in Nigeria at the time. So $1.1 million, March 2018, two years and three months into running the That's company. amazing. That's amazing. Congrats on that. <laughs> Thank you. So speaking of the Nigerian ecosystem, I saw a quote on Twitter that you gave to Endeavor Nigeria, uh, where you said that 2020 was going to be the year for M&A in the Nigerian fintech ecosystem. Can you elaborate on that and, and, and why you think that is? We've seen it already starting to happen. There's more and more fintechs launching every day. And we have really incredibly slim differentiators between the products, right? It's the same customer segment. And by the way, how which, big of a differentiator is brand? It's a big differentiator. It's the reason why we have 1 million users. By the way, do you and run the Twitter handle? Because whoever does it does a fantastic no, job. No, I don't. I used, I used to. I did it in 2016. But now we have someone who's really good. and Yeah, I watch it. I watch the account and she's great at jumping into trending topics in a genuine and funny way. <laughs> she, yeah, she's I think really her good. and Mel are definitely competing for top tweeter amongst uh, Nigerian Twitter. <laughs> so there's now like we're all fighting for the same people and we're not offering very different products. So very soon you're going to realize that growth isn't vertical, it's horizontal. You're going to have to like work with someone. Look at what OPE is doing. They have the resources to build and combine so many different services in one app. While most Nigerian startups are building one and trying to get good at that, they can get good at many things at the same time. If you look at that like process as well, and the need to corner the market very fast, working together is the only solution, right? So for us, we've always been open to partnerships, right? From 2016, we've been saying we don't think that all the things we want to offer we don't think we have to build them from scratch. We will definitely partner up with existing companies. I, I saw a lot of people telling me you first. And I'm like, you know, I've been having conversations with you. So yeah, we're really working to get partners because we think that that's where the market is going, right? Very soon it's going to be fintechs versus the banks looking at where regulation and policy is going. And we're going to have to all kind of like pally up if we're going to survive it. It's super interesting to hear your comment on the horizontal versus vertical growth because it's something that that we continuously are having. Horizontal for us really means launching new podcasts 
and vertical means doubling down resources and producing more content within the brands that we've already established. Yeah. Now, I, I have heard through the grapevine that Opay is willing to lose millions of dollars over the next few years just in order to gain market yeah. share. Uh, so it definitely makes sense to me that the hometown heroes would join forces. I'm very interested to see what, what Opay's next move is after the Okada ban. Uh, my sense is that they may look towards Ghana or other markets. Um, I think they will like that's burrowed deep into Nigeria. So one thing mm. in, that that's like pretty obvious is that most startups in Nigeria are not as concentrated in other parts of Nigeria outside of Lagos and Abuja. But Ope, as you can see now, they've gone into Badon, they've gone into Enugu, they're in like Ijebode, like you see like their QR codes like in shops, in these places that most startups have no money to reach yet. So it might not be so bad, but also for like tech founders, it might be doomsday. Because Ghana is just like the size of Lagos. It's not large. And so like if you win in Nigeria, you can win in Ghana. And so like I'm sure they'll try to burrow deep into Nigeria first as a tech market. And then they go to the next frontier. I think if I may cast a wide net from the outside looking in, Ope is a net positive for the broader startup ecosystem. I mean, on the previous panel, someone talked about how Jumia is a, a quote unquote African company that operates from Europe and Dubai. And I do understand that perspective, but you know, in the same way that when Andela let go of their junior developers and that was looked upon as as bad for the ecosystem, my sense is that this year we're going to see some significant seed rounds being raised from some of those ex-Andelas who have been coding away course, in a basement somewhere in Lagos or in Kampala. And it's going to be the same exact thing with Africans who were ex-Ope and ex-Jumia going on to found new startups. Always. We're already seeing it happening. Like, There's a lot of like ex-hotels.ng people doing great things already. Well, I think that's a little bit different just because they have you know this amazing internship program that's for the <laughs> ecosystem. By I the mean, ecosystem. you know, fair. That's fair. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, sitting down with me. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that, that you think we should? No, just like, uh, I think it was very nice. A great conversation. For sure. Well, why don't we finish off with, do you want to just tell us kind of what does 2020 look like for Piggy Bank? Uh, it's really for us, First of all, like going bullish on user acquisition at our first million. How do we get the next million? So have you all done any paid media spend or, or paid marketing yeah. spend? In percentages, let's say social media and in build referral system, 85% and then paid social media 15%. All right. So we really are like 100% about our users being the like, ambassadors we need to grow to the next level. So like, how do we get the next million? How do we build for them? That's what 2020 will be about majorly. And also, how do we expand the offerings? I don't want to give too much away, but like, you know, there's other kind of financial services outside of saving and investments. How do we make sure that our users have access to services like that in a way that's very affordable for them? Right. And, and I mean, the only reason I ask is because like, like for this show, for example, every now and then I'll throw maybe a hundred dollars, a couple hundred dollars into a, a, a Facebook ad video. And when I run it in DC, I'll get a few thousand views. Uh, but when I run something like that in Lagos or in like a major African city, I mean, I'll get 2 million views on it. But, you know, I don't know how much of that is actual engagement. Yeah, or... because I think you have to look at conversions when it comes to Africa. Like there is a lot of things that go on on the internet and we watch pretty much anything. But it's really about who's going to use it, who's really going to use it, who's listening. And I think that's where like lots of brands kind of miss it. 
because it's not really about the impressions or the views or any of that. It's really about what are they doing with the information that you've just given them. And there's very few brands who've managed to like hit that spot with ads in Nigeria. Well, just like your Twitter name, uh, definitely feeling the big Odin energy here uh, recording with you. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.